love that sound. Winter wind, blowing snow, deep cold. Perfect conditions in which to build outdoor unheated structures. And if you're an architect, a unique opportunity to create great beauty. Today we explore building beauty in the cold. Welcome to Prairie Design Lab, a podcast coming to you from the Faculty of Architecture at the University of Manitoba in Winterpeg, Manitoba. Sorry, I mean Winnipeg, Manitoba. I'm Terry McLeod, the host, producer, and writer of Prairie Design Lab. Today's episode is about designs for the outdoors that thrive without heat. Designs that are full of whimsy and experimentation and really unconventional building materials. Designs that are a magnet to draw us outdoors no matter how cold it is. I'm joined now by three people who are leaders in what have become worldwide winter competitions in two Canadian cities. Peter Hargraves of Winnipeg's Sputnik Architecture founded Winnipeg's Warming Huts Architectural Competition in 2009. Roland Rom Kolthoff of Toronto's Raw Architecture founded Toronto's Winter Stations Design Festival with Ferris Associates and Curio back in 2015. Dakota Wears Tanny is one of Winter Station's organizers with Raw Architecture. I spoke to them before Christmas. Hello, all you lovers of architecture and of hello. cold. Hello, hello. Welcome, Peter. Welcome, yeah. Dakota. Nice to be here. Welcome, Roland. Peter, can I turn to you first since Warming Huts was founded first? What are Warming Huts? Warming Huts are a collection of installations that um, are put out every year on the river trail in Winnipeg along a, a skating trail that's created on the Assiniboine and Red Rivers. We started a competition in 2010. We, we built some warming huts in the first year, and these were structures or art installations, um, points of interest um, on the skating trail. And then in the subsequent years, we've run an international competition, and we received submissions from all over the world for the designs of these small um, installations, some of which are huts, others are actually um, art pieces. Now, Dakota, what are winter stations in Toronto? Um, winter stations are uh, very similarly a collection of installations along our waterfront, our beaches. They're tethered to the lifeguard stands that anchor along the beach front in Toronto. And um, these installations, they vary each year with a given theme that is tied to the year. It's an international competition. Um, we ask all participants to submit a design the year prior. They take various shapes and forms alike. And we have always a great jury that comes on board. And then we break out usually later in the winter season. We launch that program. Roland, what, what inspired you to create Winter Stations? Well, we, we had the honor of being selected as one of the winners of the Warming Huts competition that Peter was running at the time. Our team went out there to install what we called Nuzzle, which was a, an installation made out of pool noodles, which we found out were a 100% Canadian invention. And we went out to Winnipeg, which is where cheesies were invented. So that's another... <laughs> 100% Canadian invention, and we had a and we had a great time there with Peter and his group. They were excellent hosts. Uh, we spent three days in a very very cold environment. It, I can't remember what the temperature was. But it was shockingly cold, 
uh, assembling uh, these structures out there. We had a great time doing it. And I got a call the next year from a very good friend who's a landscape architect in Toronto. He was walking his dog on the beach and he was looking at the images from our installation called Nuzzles and said, why can't we have something colorful and fun here in Toronto like you guys have in Winnipeg? Like the Winnipeggers are way in front of us. And uh, so we started talking and we, we put it together. Uh, we very much modeled it on, on Peter's uh, competition. So all kudos to them. Peter, we shipped Peter down to help us with the first jury and he gave us pointers on how to, how to run it, which worked out super well. We just wanted something colorful to bring people down to the beach, very much like the warming huts, which are to help people enjoy the, the natural environment and the river in Winnipeg. So here it's in Toronto, it's the beach and the lake, which are quite spectacular in the winter. It's just a very forbidding environment if you're not ready for it or used to it. Peter, what was your inspiration for creating warming huts in the first place? The primary reason was we had three children. We lived near, right near the river, and I would freeze my fingers every time we went down there and had to tie three sets of skates plus my own. And so that very pragmatic idea of just creating shelters was the, was the first uh, cause. And then I was in um, Calgary setting up an art show for a friend of mine, a guy named John Polipchuk. And he told me about this cool idea, this group of uh, folks in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, who had done this big art show in a Legion Hall. And the idea being that you were going to bring, you know, capital A art into a gritty pub sort of setting. And so I said, well, we could bring art onto this place, uh, onto this landscape that's otherwise void of art. And so those two ideas kind of melded together where I knew we could design uh, interesting huts or shelters. And uh, But the inclusion of art in the project has always been central to, to what we've been doing. And so what we haven't done is created warm huts. There's a distinction between warming huts and warm warm huts, huts that are warm. Um, huts that are warm are like our houses. And uh, when it's very, very cold, we don't want to leave our houses. Um, so it's really important that these pieces invite people to move from one to the other to the other if the first one was very warm you'd get to it and stop and sit inside and then go home because you don't want to leave again you know that sort of thing but if you if we can encourage people to actually keep moving they will generate warmth um, just from the activity of movement how did you feel when you discovered that roland was inspired by your warming huts so much so to start winter station in Toronto? Well, I was thrilled uh, because um, the arts community often eats itself uh, or they protect themselves against themselves. And uh, to my way of thinking, it always destroys the possibility of these types of synergies. So um, when he called me, I thought, this is awesome. First of all, they are, they, you know, it was a group that was clearly capable of pulling. They were doing this kind of work and in this installation work, the very talented uh, group of people. And so it just seemed like, oh, this is a no brainer. Like Toronto will do what it does. Winnipeg will do what it it does, and and um, I, I think it's important to stress that every community has something in it that is unique. And if somebody can find out what that is, and then harness that, you will have uh, you know a country full of amazing little communities and their quirky little projects. Dakota, your your winter stations have to include lifeguard stations that already exist on the beaches. Why is that? Lifeguard stands seem to signify the beach and. Uh, this was a 
nice way to tie these installations and, and set them along the stretch of the beach. So I think maybe it's twofold. These lifeguard stands kind of gave um, an anchor along the beach front. And so we could build off of these, not that they were any structural support, but also because of, I think, honestly, the distance along the beach, they would allow these installations to be spread along. Yeah, I think it's also the fact that it's kind of an ironic statement to take something that's for summertime use and repurpose it for the wintertime. Just, that just really attracted us uh, to that. And Dakota is absolutely right. Like the spacing of them along the beach because it's set up for visual connection means that it's a logical kind of stroll and you can see, you can see one installation to the next and make an afternoon out of it um, going to see these things. So how many installations get installed as part of the winter stations? Um, this year we're aiming for five, and um, that's not including, we usually have one or two schools participating. So this year we'll have Sheridan College participating. And that it just varies year to year depending on the sponsors we get um, and how much money we can raise for the program. And Peter, you have way more than that if I have it right. We now have, I want to say, well, we've built 40, but we have about 30 that are active. Some have been retired, um, some have been loaned, uh, but yeah, we have a lot. We have a big collection. Now, in the introduction, I hinted at experimentation and unconventional building materials. And what kind of materials do your competitors in their warming huts? They're made of wild stuff sometimes, right? Yeah. Everything from pool noodles to um, clear acrylic. Uh, we have steel. We have re we have one hut that's entirely made out of rebar. The, the Russian submission from years ago was made out of uh, recycled oil barrels, welding shield. Uh, it's just it's endless. It's whatever the world can think of. And Roland, what kind of materials are the winter stations built of? As opposed to the warming huts, which have a, an idea of having each, each installation live on year over year, ours are, are really ephemeral. They're only intended to be up for a short time. Um, that's made, oh, A lot of that's driven by budget. <laughs> so, a lot of wood and, pl and plywood. Um, unfortunately, a, a lot of plastics, but we're trying to discourage people from using that. We're trying to encourage our participants to, to look for uh, materials that can be recycled afterwards. So we had, we had some made out of rope. Um, we had some made out of Christmas trees that got recycled. Um, we had one that was a giant woolen cap. Uh, made, out of, made out of rope as well. So a, a very diverse list of materials, but, but the budget is a very strong component of uh, winter stations. It's only $15,000 per station, um, which includes the artist's fee. So it's even less than that for, for construction. Dakota, what are some of the most memorable uh, winter stations <clears throat> that have been created in your time with RAW? Over the last couple of years, there's been a few that I think almost have the most simplest gesture. Um, and so they're executed very well. Um, one was the beacon, which was made of, I believe it was distressed and recycled wood, but it was this very tall figure. Uh, I think the wood, like the actual material stood out for itself. I actually myself participated in Winter Station, so I don't want to toot my own horn here, but I really did like ours, um, the team that participated with me. And we actually got to reset up that winter station, different configurations elsewhere. That was innovative. But I'm familiar with all the winter stations from years before. And there's one that uh, was this pine cone that was 
very structurally thought out and it was multiple colors. Um, it was a light but very strong structure. And so the ones over time that have stood out have always been well executed, but also well conceived. I think the, some of the favorites were the, in the first year we had a sauna. A heated it sauna? Of, uh, it was, yeah. It was, it was made out of chloroplast, so it was translucent. Um, apparently, it got a lot of uh, patronage at night. I didn't witness it myself, but it was well patronized. Uh, another very popular one was called the Belly of the Bear, which was a giant uh, globe made out of old barrel staves uh, lined uh, with fur. Uh, so it was a very cocooning-like uh, place. We were a little worried about security for that, but it all, it all worked out just fine. Peter, since you initiated Warming Huts, what did it take to get architects to take part in something that no one had done before? That's a great question. I, I think not a lot, actually. And I don't know whether that's because we're all just looking for something fun to do. I'm being facetious. I think, actually, it's a simple idea. It's like winter stations. You, you, kind of, you don't have to spend more than a few minutes explaining kind of what you're doing. You could say it's kind of... A, it's a garden shed and everyone knows what that means or you know it's a shelter and everyone knows thinks they know what that means or it's a piece of art and you know so the best anecdote of that is uh, Antoine Predock who was designing the Human Rights Museum here at the time somebody just in passing said to him what we were doing that year and this was the first year that we were doing it and he was like I'm in I want to I want to participate and then that weekend I got photos from their office of him like blasting a little model that he had made in his kitchen with a and he was blasting it with a uh, a fire extinguisher to kind of give it the impression of snow so he was fully like he stopped whatever they were doing in their office whatever international projects they were doing in their office he was like we're doing a warming hut so it was you know it's just telling of like it, it, we love doing fun projects i think all architects and designers and artists do and i think this was a civic project on one level uh which generally we think of civic projects as being large but these are tiny and so there's this kind of power or inertia that's developed out of the collection of all these tiny projects and again i think winter stations does that the same thing you arrive at that site and you see not one folly but a collection of works of art the collection of them is actually what what is uh, what generates the force behind the overall project dakota what do you do to recruit participants in winter stations Behind Winter Stations, we have a great team and we have um, a community partner, uh, KGNA, and um, they are a media company in which um, they, they put this out, this call out through many channels um, internationally. And I think just the, the reach of this has escalated over the over the years so there's just a natural interest now and people are always looking out and wondering when this competition is going to launch in the next year but we have public publications in many design magazines and online even just natural word of mouth has really helped this competition spread peter you mentioned the russian warming hut of a number of years ago where do your architects come from russia and where else 
Um, really all over the world. We have not had a winning submission from Africa, the continent of Africa, but we've had certainly had submissions from, you know, New Zealand and Australia and South America. Uh, so we, we tend to get quite a few from Asia um, and, and Russia as well. But yeah, we've had winners from France and Germany and um, Britain, Singapore, all over the world. And lots of Americans and Canadians. And we've had several Winnipeg teams that have also won. Now, Which, I was lucky enough to spend some time in Singapore uh, yes. a couple of years ago. And Singapore is about 30 degrees all the time. 30 yes. degrees above. Singaporean architects interested in warming huts? Really? Well, again, this is it. It's a challenge. So um, I, I actually think the one of the most um, poetic winning submissions came from Tel Aviv uh, in the first year. And uh, it was this beautiful idea of this kind of cage that um, got filled with firewood and there's a fire in the middle of fireplace in the middle of it. And then the idea was that um, as the winter wore on, the wood would be used up from the cage and the, and the walls would disappear as the season warmed up. And it was kind of a telling a description, a visual description of how our seasons were changing and there was no need for fire anymore as summer approached. That's from Tel Aviv. Like it's 25 degrees Celsius there every single day. And uh, these people just understood exactly what they were doing and what, what we needed. And so it was like, it's beautiful. You're listening to Prairie Design Lab from the University of Manitoba Faculty of Architecture. And I'm, I'm with three guests today, including Roland Rom Koltoff from Toronto's Raw Architecture and the creator of Winter Stations, Peter Hargraves of Winnipeg Sputnik Architecture, the founder of Warming Hearts, the competition in Winnipeg, and Dakota Wears Tanny. She is one of the organizers of Winter Stations and she's with Raw Architecture as well. What amount, Roland, of public participation? do you have in your winter stations we try and maximize it every year um, we're trying to have parallel uh, programming happening at the winter stations to help bring people out so we've had weekends where the artists will go from installation to installation explain uh, what they're doing we've also had volunteers go around and offer uh, to help explain what the purpose of the uh, the intention of the artwork is and what it's trying to evoke um, through the through the use of the art and the materials we encourage participants in winter stations to think of their installation as being interactive like so it's not just something you, you look at and, and walk around with your finger looking at it uh, like an art piece in a, in a gallery. It's something that you're supposed to go and grab hold of. We've had pieces that you can actually take apart and throw around, which is a little, made us a little nervous as well, but that in the end, we lost a few pieces, but so be it. It's all about bringing people outdoors and enjoying uh, the winter time, which is something that people love to complain about in Canada, but actually it's a, it's a great time of year. Uh, it's about bringing people down to a part of the city that they would normally not enjoy in that environment in that time of year. So the installations are supposed to engage with that and bring people down to that. So public participation is the main thing. We want this to be a civic animator, as it were. Uh, Peter, Winnipeg winters, as you know, can get intensely cold, minus 25, minus 30 Celsius, pretty common. What amount of warmth is actually found in your warming huts? It varies. Uh, some of the huts offer uh, a shield from 
the wind, for example, or they there's one that you can face towards the sun, so you'll pick up whatever warmth the sun uh, will provide on, on a sunny day. And again, I, I think it's really important to emphasize that the energy, the calories that we burn when we dress properly is a huge part of why you stay warm when it's really cold. And we really are trying to get people to physically move and to burn calories and to move from one station or one one uh, warming hut to the next. And in doing so, um, you will stay warm, you will survive. Um, you know, Survival Guide 101 in, in Manitoba or Canada is that, it, you know, you must keep moving when you're, uh, when you're outside. And so, but again, there's been a ton of delightful solutions. You know, I mentioned the, the, um, the woodpile uh, project that had a fire in it. The fire department frowns on us building huts that have fires in them. So we've kind of avoided those. But there was another one called Red Blankets, another beautiful installation where we hung these big felt blankets from the bridge. And the idea was that you could wrap yourselves in these big kind of curtains. And, and they did. They actually, they, you know, they provided this warmth. But more importantly, they, they gen, you generated this kinetic energy with uh, swinging on the curtains and hanging on them and throwing them at one another and all, of, you know, that sort of stuff. And if you spend even a few minutes playing with the curtains, you, you generated a sweat, even if it was minus 20. How did you go about attracting Frank Gehry, uh, you know, who everyone in the world knows in architecture, but also the world famous Winnipeg or Gimli filmmaker Guy Madden to get engaged in building warming huts? Um, I wrote a letter. I wrote a very simple letter. Um, it was different for Guy, but for Frank Geary, um, I basically explained to him in, in a short sentence, a paragraph, short paragraph, what the project was. And then I followed that with a line that said, it's so cold in Winnipeg, you know, you can die from it. Um, so beware, we're inviting you to participate in a very exotic location actually and a few months later i got this letter back like we've reviewed it it somehow it trickled up to the top and uh, they said yeah we want to participate and um it was the same thing with anish kapoor who's an artist based out of london uh, very similar note saying you know we've got this very unique landscape that we think uh your work would be delightful upon and uh but be careful you could die if you if you fell asleep uh, on a cold winter night here. Is that Anish Kapoor who did the jelly bean in Chicago, the bean? Yes, yeah. Really? Cloudgate, it's called officially, but yeah. Yeah, excuse me. <laughs> it's an amazing it. project. And it was actually that project that, that delighted me so much. I was there and I spent like six hours trying to find a flaw in that in that structure. And uh, so so, yeah, we sent them an invitation and they responded in kind. Roland, in what way is COVID-19 affecting your competition this year? That's a tough question. We are we gave direction to the jury to, to think about ideas of social distancing. And then, as I said, we want people to interact with the artwork. So at the same time, we wanted to, to be able to preserve distance with, with the new installations this year. So that was one of the criteria that we asked them to look at in picking, picking works. Um, we are looking at works that, that won't cause people to group together within them or, or, or necessarily around them. Um, and we'll have to see how successful we're going to 
be with that because that does run a bit counter to what we're trying to achieve with the installations, which is bringing people together. We are working with the Toronto Health. We're getting advice um, also from just Toronto Parks and Rec Forestry and Recreation just on how we can get you know, the city support to carefully execute this year's program so that everyone's happy. All the winners will reflect the kind of COVID protocols that we're trying to do in public places. In what way would you say your very unusual competitions, winter outside, are affecting the larger world of architecture and design? Certainly from our point of view, it's an opportunity to get young designers in. It's a, there's a very low bar of entry to winter stations because of the budget, as I mentioned. The, the uh, criteria for entering your submission are very low. It's free to enter as well. So it's a very low bar to get over. So we're hoping, and we've seen, in fact, in Dakota, I guess, is part of the proof of this, is that we get very young designers in. It's their first chance to get a lot of uh, acclaim and a lot of... Uh, publicity out of it so they can start their career off on, on a great on a great note and so that's paired with this idea of let's celebrate winter let's celebrate being canadian and what it, what it means to to enjoy the four seasons to their to their fullest and and let's think about a part of the city that in those times of years are under is underappreciated and should be appreciated and dakota you were attracted to raw to work with them because of what they were doing at the winter stations right yeah, actually, um, participating in winter stations kind of opened the door to uh, Raw as an architecture firm. Um, then I started to look into their work. So it works on both levels. Um, the public art really reinforces the architecture, and architecture really reinforces the public art. Final word from you, Peter. We were very interested in... Um people engaging in the subject of design. Um, the, the designers were easy to convince to participate. It's not so easy always to convince, you know, a curmudgeon who thinks uh, spending money on design is a waste of time. You know, and I'm giving you an extreme example, but that same person walking along the skating trail is forced to have an opinion now on this crazy work of... Uh, art or architecture or design where that person might not go to an art gallery to engage it in that way uh, so this was very much in the public realm uh, you know again they're lighthearted they're ephemeral they're they're easy to engage with um, so it for me it it was uh, really about putting art into people's faces in a way and uh, letting them draw their own opinions about whether it's valuable or not or, or, or why it's valuable. So, Well, thanks to all of you for what you've done to make our winter cities way more livable, way more appealing and way more outdoors. Thank you very much. Peter, thank you. You're very welcome. Dakota, thank you. Thanks for having us. And Roland, thank you. Thank you, Terry. Roland Rom Koltoff of Toronto's Raw Architecture co-founded Toronto's Winter Stations Design Festival in 2015. Dakota Wears Tanny is one of Winter Stations organizers with Raw Architecture. Peter Hargraves of Winnipeg Sputnik Architecture founded Winnipeg's Warming Huts Architectural Competition in 2009.
Winnipeg's Warming Huts competition opens on January 29th, but Peter Hargraves told me that due to travel restrictions, winners from outside of Canada will join virtually. Peter has some other fascinating plans involving building with snow, and he assured me that there are still lots of warming huts that are going to be along the river trail. Toronto's winter stations will be unveiled on February 15th and will be open to the public until March 31st. Roland told me that they too are making changes due to COVID. Their winning artists will also engage virtually. He plans to spread the winter stations further apart on the beach to promote as much distancing as possible. They'll also be moving two stations to different parts of the city in another effort to enhance that too. If they find that Toronto is still in lockdown come mid-February, Roland says they may push back the date until March. I'll have more detail on what the organizers of both festivals are doing on a future episode. Prairie Design Lab comes to you from the Faculty of Architecture at the University of Manitoba. It's a podcast that builds on all that's been accomplished by the faculty and the graduates of the first architecture faculty in Western Canada, founded 102 years ago. Special thanks to Jason Chan and Jason Shields of the UM Faculty of Architecture. Thank you for listening. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. If you're in Winnipeg, you can catch us each Wednesday morning at 11.30 a.m. on UMFM Radio 101.5 FM. I'm Terry McLeod, the host, producer, and writer of Prairie Design Lab. Stay warm. See you next week. Thank you.